Welcome back to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. I'm launching something new and different on the Rhythm Changes website this month. Over the past year of writing articles there, I've learned a lot and I'll keep doing the podcast as I have been, but this is new. I see an opportunity to offer something that no one else is doing. That's why I launched the Rhythm Changes update where I write three updates per week, deliver them to you by email for subscribers only. They consist of all the fun and insightful stories that I come across on a daily basis from creative music in Canada and especially the Vancouver jazz scene. I'm writing stories that you can't get anywhere else and it's been really fun to launch it this month of March 2022. So I'm inviting you today on this episode of the show to go check that out and subscribe now. You can do that at rhythmchanges.ca slash update. I also have a page where I've explained more about what I'm doing and I'll leave that in the description of this episode. So go to rhythmchanges.ca slash update and subscribe now to the Rhythm Changes Update. This episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster. That's my home city and my favorite place to record and mix my music. Anthony Santorini is the engineer at 12th Street. He does album, EP, and single recording, mixing for your music, filming of live session videos in studio, and all the way up to full production services. I found all his services to be of excellent value and his recordings stand up to the best of the best. And when I record with him, I get the space I need to craft my story as an artist. Anthony has great gear, especially if you're a guitarist, but really anybody, drummers too, he is a drummer. And most of all, he has great ears. Plus, my most streamed track was recorded and mixed there by him. So you can check out 12th Street Sound today at 12thstreet.ca slash booking to tell Anthony about your next project for 2022. And before you hit the book now button, tell him that the RCP sent you. That's 12thst.ca slash booking to get going on your next music project today and tell Anthony that the RCP sent you. I think my violin professor at UVic also kind of nurtured. She was like, you know, you really like history. You really like learning about the pieces that you're like you that you're playing on the violin. She was like, have you ever thought about musicology? And like, at the time, I was like, no, I'm not doing musicology. But obviously, <laughs> I eventually listened. Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC, it's the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about creative music in Canada. As an active performer, my favorite moments in the working world of music have always been the stories that people tell before shows, in the intermissions, and after the shows. And on this podcast, we have conversations like those. This week, I bring you a conversation I had about eco-musicology. That's up next. Our guest today began playing music in the Lower Mainland while living in Langley, and she went on to earn both a Master of Arts in Musicology from the University of Toronto and a Bachelor's of Music from the University of Victoria. She is a second-year PhD student in musicology at U of T, and we're recording mid-semester here in early 2022. So please give a warm, relaxed welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Emily McCallum. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Can't complain, really. (laughs) Good, good. Now, we know each other because of the North Shore Celtic Ensemble community originally. And I've had Claude Jaguer, the co-founder on this podcast before. It's still a community that is close to my heart. I was actually involved in the group more so with your younger sibling than you. We didn't cross paths directly, but I'd love to just open 
with a little bit of the background on how you and your family got into NSCE, your violin playing there, and some of the memories you have from that community. Oh, there's so many. Um, well, I started playing the violin very young, kind of. It was definitely my mom's idea. <laughs> Did the whole cardboard box Suzuki thing. Um, there was a really good community music school in Langley that I got my start in. But because like my dad um, came to Canada from Scotland and, and I still have a bunch of family who live there, you know, there was like an always a desire to have like traditional music or Celtic music or whatever it be, maybe kind of in tandem with my classical violin studies. So, and that eventually just, it was, I think it was hard to find in Langley. There wasn't the group that we were looking for. And so I honestly don't know how my parents found the North Shore Celtic Ensemble, <laughs> but I'm so glad they did. Yes. I can't remember what year I joined in. It, I was in high school, I think. I was quite young. I started actually with the Coquitlam Celtic Ensemble. Right. So back when that was a thing, and it was it was great. It was like Saturday mornings with like, I think there was like six of us. It was like pretty small and with Claude and yeah. And then from there on, I started playing shows with them and then eventually just joined the North Shore chapter because the Coquitlam one closed. Yeah, I still made, I still continued like classical violin studies in Langley. And yeah, eventually by the time I was in grade 12, just kind of decided that this was something I really liked doing. So I was going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I have also had Jay Knutson, the other co-founder on the show, just didn't think about it because I talked to him more in the context <laughs> of my former band, Early Spirit. But yeah, both Claude and Jay have been on here before, and I still keep in touch with NSCE whenever I can. There's a lot of great musicians that came out of there. You went to UVic after graduating from high school, and you continued to play classical violin and continued your studies there on the instrument, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I started right away I didn't do a gap year or anything and yeah like looking back that is like maybe one thing that I missed when I was at UVic was definitely like the North Shore Celtic ensemble re repertoire and kind of like style and type of playing because I did go straight into like classical violin studies and I mean I'd played in like small string orchestras before um, but definitely having um they have a really wonderful focus on chamber music there at that school. And so having like a string quartet, you're being placed in a string quartet every year or, and then playing in the symphony. It was, yeah, it was a big, it was a big learning curve, but it was great. <laughs> is that the hardest thing when you're a young instrumentalist is to find a program, an organization, a community, or like an outlet where you feel like I have all this great stuff to play. I know what I'm playing and I know who I'm playing it with. I found my people. I found my thing. That seems kind of elusive sometimes, you know? Honest, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I was so happy when I, I was like was a bit shy, more shy and a bit, I don't even know if that's the right, I mean, people will probably listen back and be like, Emily's never shy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you're my first year. Yeah, it took me like a while to settle, but um once I found like, yeah, those people that I could play like anything or like all this different, so like much variety in the repertoire that people would like be up to play with. And I would say, yeah, that is like can be challenging. I, it, um, I was really lucky when I moved to Toronto that um, I had a friend who we'd played in a quartet when we both, she was doing her master's at UVic um, and we were, I was in my undergrad and she was like, oh, you should join this community orchestra. And then I was really lucky when I moved here. I joined that orchestra and met all these really wonderful musicians. 
There's one other thing that you mentioned to me off air when we were prepping for this that I wanted to drop in here. It's very random. And it's that you had this experience when you encountered this documentary called Chasing Ice that came out in 2013. And there's this song on the soundtrack of the documentary called Before My Time that features the Joshua Bell, who's a violinist who might be best known to normies like myself for his stories of busking in the New York City subway incognito and not being recognized. That's Joshua Bell and also Scarlett Johansson. Joshua Bell and Scarlett Johansson featured together on this song before my time from this documentary. What's your interaction with this? It's funny. I, I, uh, it was something I was, I was like obsessed with it when I, when I, I mean, I don't know when it came out or when I found it or whatever. And the documentary is beautiful. Yeah, I just like really liked the song. I loved the violin part. I wanted to learn it, um, which my <laughs> violin professor was just like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, as an undergrad student, especially in a place like Victoria, which, you know, you have like nature surrounding you and you um, can get in very involved with the environment. I think I had this like, growing interest in environmental action and climate change and just like what was happening and I think it was just like one of these like songs early on that I was like, whoa, like I can combine like music and the environment and other art projects and stuff. You found a situation where something adjacent to the music that you were doing could be used in the world towards some kind of other end like environmental justice, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, which I think is, is now like obvious. I feel like there's so many artists now who like make albums like this or who have done that but at the time um when you i feel like we were t- when we were talking about this off air it was something when i was thinking back i was like maybe that was the first time i thought put it together but <laughs> yeah well you're the right person to be addressing this issue for sure because i know that your interests have always combined musical research and just enjoying being an outdoorsy person as a lot of people from metro vancouver originally are want to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm definitely on brand there <laughs> yeah so at some point around your shift and your graduation from uvic and you're coming to toronto to escalate your research and get into your master's program and now where you're doing your phd studies you decided that your interests went outside of just being a player and being a musician and playing avant-garde and new music you got interested in musicology as a lateral move from that. So how and where did that happen? Was it still just at UVic? How did you make that shift initially? Well, I was really lucky um, that this summer after I graduated from my, uh, my undergrad, a composer who was like also a professor and was part of a Shirk-funded project, like a field school project, narratives of memory and xenophobia um and it was this was like kind of following the 2016 refugee crisis with like rising xenophobia and like um islamophobia and kind of just like extremist behavior and so he was part of this graduate trip to go to three different european nations and kind of premiere different musical pieces alongside conversations about kind of these like major issues I applied and I got to go, <laughs> um, which nice. is just, I'm so thankful for looking back because not only was it this opportunity to travel through Europe for three months and go to all these like premieres of these really wonderful pieces played by really wonderful musicians, 
uh, I was traveling with historians and lawyers and some like other graduate students. And so it was kind of like the first time I got to be in these like in these rooms and these seminars and like have these kind of discussions, kind of this like graduate style discussion. So that that definitely put the bug for graduate school in me. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't apply right away. I took a year off. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think my violin professor at UVic also kind of nurtured. She was like, you know, you really like history. You really like learning about the pieces that you're like you that you're playing on the violin. She was like, have you ever thought about musicology? And like at the time, I was like, no, I'm not doing musicology. But obviously, <laughs> I eventually <laughs> listened. But uh, yeah, so that there was like there is obviously many other turns, twists and turns. Um, but eventually, I, I applied. I applied to like a few different schools, but um, I applied to U of T and got accepted and really liked it and didn't really know what else to do with my life at that point. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, you really take for granted the like kind of like musical community. That's like, so that's like, just like ready and there during your undergrad. So it was a wonderful opportunity. I like still have a lot of good friends that I met. And when we got back to Victoria, part of the kind of trip or project was the composers that came on the trip with me composed pieces and I got to play them like premiere them in uh, Victoria. So that was also oh. kind of like a really cool opportunity that was attached to that project. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I learned leading up to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast was that musicology, you know, if you had asked me, I would have said, being uneducated myself, that maybe musicology was a kind of science. But then, yeah, I've learned, and you said history, I've, I guess I've learned that musicology is really about history as opposed to science. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely would say that maybe it intersects with science in interesting oh, ways, sure. but uh, it is definitely like a historical type humanities discipline. That's very broad. <laughs> yes. Um, but then it's eco-musicology that you mentioned when we started chatting. That is the area that you are digging into the most. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I also kind of rely on or use kind of um, a lot of sound studies scholarship as well. If we go back to like me being really, really interested in avant-garde music, when I applied to U of T for musicology, I applied in with a project in that on that theme. I wrote my like master's, like a major paper. It wasn't a thesis, but like a longer paper on like a on the composer Lachenmann, which who is like a kind of a avant-garde composer but like early on in my master's I took a class about nature <laughs> like capital yeah. N nature um, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I was really lucky that the prof who taught that was also supervising me on my paper and she was just like do you want to join this like working group on soundscapes and then that kind of opened up this like new area that I didn't know that much about or wasn't that aware of and I really liked it and so I was like I think this is what I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, and my short notes in the limited amount of research that I waded into, I found a couple of words that you've brought up there. Soundscapes is definitely a relevant one. There's another word that I found when I was just trying to, what I was trying to do was find my own little definition of ecomusicology to come into this with so that I could figure out what I thought it was and then hear from a practitioner like yourself what it's really about more so. And the little definition that I worked out for what I thought ecomusicology was, is the relationship between people and their environment through sound. Now that sounds like it could also really be a definition of 
something else that you just said, which was sound studies. So is that kind of what sound studies is? That's a good question. I, in like, for me, I would say sound studies is not necessarily done by musicologists. Like there's a lot of historians and uh, maybe like anthropologists or like um, other, like many other disciplines. And it's looking at like the sonic properties, but not necessarily like musical works. Oh. Um, which I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like research, like research out there that is sound studies that does deal with musical work. So I could be really wrong, but like for me, that's what I would say. But and then e- eco musicology is more of this like umbrella term for like looking at how music and culture and the environment kind of like come together, or like how you look at them in tandem, or as in like influencing each other, or not influencing each other, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I also found a different phrase, which was acoustic ecology. And that's another phrase that sounds like it fits into this puzzle somewhere. But is that another phrase that is relevant to you? Or what is that? Yeah, it is relevant. I think it is. I could be wrong, but I think acoustic ecology was definitely kind of part of this like soundscapes project. Soundscapes is definitely an important part of acoustic ecology. Um, I don't know if I have like a ready definition for it. That's all good. Yeah, (laughs) It's a starting point for us to go and learn more about it in the future right so that's that's all good yeah us being me and a listener and other (laughs) listeners you are already deep into this emily so you are good the soundscape thing is interesting because i did find out that there's a well-known thing called the world soundscape project that comes out of sfu here in metro vancouver simon fraser university and that there's this guy named r murray schaefer who contributed to that so is this something that you have learned a lot about in your studies too or what is this world soundscape project and how does it fit in yeah i've definitely read about it i've read some of schaefer's um writings it is kind of like the legacy of the world soundscape project um i think like i'll have i've had to kind of um point to and allude to in like my grant writing and in my project i'm sure it will be a Um, It'll show up, Uh, but it has changed quite a bit. Um, Even in the even in the word soundscape, people have like continued to attribute meaning to and use it in different ways. But it is actually it does have some interesting history. The fact that it is coming from Vancouver, which they yeah they have some interesting recordings. The uh, Armour Schaefer and some of the other people, kind of like these founding members, were really concerned with noise pollution. You can read that kind of um, anxiety surrounding new technologies and urban development and stuff in in that writing. But uh, it's obviously grown from there. And that wasn't the only thing they were doing. Uh, There's kind of like sound walking and listening walks and your sounds, your own like being like paying attention to your own soundscape. Uh, Yeah, like pretty like foundational elements of that. Um, yeah, it's changed a lot. There's uh, a lot of interesting scholarship that's come out like even recently. Like there's a really cool prof at U of T that has done some projects on kind of pointing out like who they excluded in their World Soundscapes project uh, and just kind of like some of the ideological like writings surrounding like the north of Canada and like what that should sound like. Yeah, this noise pollution concept, it really does feel to me listening to you mention that now as this very kind of hippie talking idea you know like it's, it seems like it's very of the 60s and 70s and of sfu and vancouver in particular you know yeah i would say um 
yeah, I wouldn't, that it does make sense. And it was, yeah, it was also a time of just like really rapidly changing soundscapes and cityscapes. So um, yeah, yeah, they, they did travel a bit, the project, I think they have like CDs from like other countries and, um, and I've like, even in my graduate school years so far, like I've been assigned some of his books to read and yeah, it's been, we like, we've talked about it. So yeah, that takes me to a bigger question for sure, but it can definitely come from a bird's eye view. And it's about the issues that are the most relevant to you in your studies now and the things that your work focuses on. Because if we look back at something like the World Soundscape Project adjacent stuff from the 70s or from a different generation, and you've kind of summarized or pointed to what might have been the most important issues of that time. And so that just leads me back to now. And I'm curious, coming in from the outside, what the main, what the central issues are of our time. And when you're doing your studies now, what are the questions that it focuses on that kinds of things to do with the problems that the research is addressing and working on because we kind of looked at what they might have been several decades ago but and again it doesn't have to dive too deep into the weeds but because i'm coming in cold from outside i'm really interested to know what those kind of central issues are for you in your research today in our time um, I, I definitely think that uh, environmentalism and like environmental justice has become a bigger topic. Land use, maybe like land back and protest would say maybe is a pretty big topic right now. That's a good question. I mean, there was an interesting book just written about kind of like the impacts, like the material and climate impacts of music, which I think is an, was an important book to come out in like 2021, I think. Um, and just kind of like, what doesn't mean for when you stream all this music and also buy the vinyl record for the environment? Um, yeah. Is that something that you've checked out? Is that something that your own uh, interests have delved into? Is this the economic impact of digital music? Because that is a fascinating point. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I, it, the book is called... I think it's called The Political Ecology of Music by Kyle Devine. Um, yeah. And then definitely... Uh, kind of problematic sound shapes. So like kind of like unfair division of the city and like who gets access to green space, I would say, and like the sounds that green space offer and like that soundscape and that relax of the noise, I would say, has been kind of like a recent, I would say I've read, there's been recent publications about it. Okay, yeah. It's a really good question though. What about yourself? If those are kind of the bigger themes, what are you narrowing down into these days? What has been, what has been your focus as a researcher? Yeah, um, I'm kind of finally kind of bringing some of my ideas together and trying to narrow down like what my project will be. And I'm really interested in like the material side of um, some of the history. So I'm proposing to work on kind of like the context of like orchestral music coming out of like the late 19th century, early 20th century um, and like mineral extraction or like and like resource extraction. So kind of like this was a time where like coal and wood and like forestry was like were huge industries and like we kind of had this like energy revolution and so I'm kind of being like what yeah how is this connected to like the music industry of the time and like what was going on and you know we have these pieces being premiered or performed that are like super kind of like some of them are really utopic about the landscape that they're kind of depicting or not or like at least being inspired by and so that's kind of where I'm focusing my research on. 
Yeah. Do you have an example of that landscape? Because for me, I was imagining like a pastoral sort of thing, but I'm not sure if I got that right. I was thinking of like Copeland or something like that. Is that is that on the point at all? Yeah, the pastoral, totally. Um, Like Vaughn Williams, pastoral symphony, you know, like all of that. Um, Yeah, so far I've been mainly focusing on kind of like the European and like just because it's really inherently tied to colonialism. Um, So I've been kind of focusing on that angle, but... Yeah, I feel I don't listen to very much Copeland, but I'm, I I believe you. <laughs> I'm sure it would be a great that's example. That'd be on the American side. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's cool. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's so much to check out there, and it's something that can hardly be done justice in a single conversation. But it's cool <laughs> to hear about where you're going, and of course, it's in progress for you too because you're midway through your PhD studies, so it will evolve and it will change. <laughs> Definitely. A yeah. couple more things that I want to hit on as we close it out here. One of them is that you've been doing this. TA ship, you've been teaching like a music history tutorial or something like that. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about something that's more recent for you that you've been doing up there at U of T. What have you been doing in this TA ship? What's that been like for you? Yeah. Um, so at U of T, we're given TA ships every year as graduate students, which is, I'm really for like lucky and I love TAing. I love teaching. It's been really fun. So nice. I mainly teach tutorials for either first year music history which is at u of t it's kind of like bach to contemporary they're survey courses like you just like cover these like huge instances of time and all the music that happened or um the second year history which is like kind of like medieval i would say i can't remember exactly but it's like earlier um okay yeah yeah we this past year i was in the first year class it was um we studied Mainly they're discussion-based courses, and we were in person this year, which was <laughs> um, there you feels go. weird, but <laughs> to say, but we were. But yeah, so we just uh, normally like they're all discussion-based, and we talk about everything from some of my students were interested in like disability studies. We like talked about Beethoven, and we talk about like opera and the history of like kind of like how opera influenced symphonic music or vice versa. And I have a. A fair, a very like nice professor who runs the course. So she gets, she gives the TAs a lot of freedom, but I do have nice. to kind of stick in to the curriculum that she's chosen. But um, this year, yeah, we did lots of, we had really interesting conversations, and yeah, I have um, students at the end of the, you know, at the end of the class, they all write a research essay, and I have students just choose like the most interesting topics from anywhere from like, like Puccini to like Ariana Grande or something. <laughs> like it's pretty big, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's a really I really enjoy teaching and working with the other TAs, a really nice aspect of the PhD, I would say. Nice. Good to hear. Last question for you here, and then we'll close it out. Some of the places you've been, you talked about going to Europe and you talked about dealing with different periods of classical music or new music. Some of that stuff has required you to learn another language, and that would be German in this case. So how is your German going and where do you want to take that over the next little while? Is that still going to be a big thing for you? Oh, yes. So I'm, I mean, oh, sometimes German feels like this huge weight. <laughs> and I get so <laughs> annoyed with it. But yes, for my PhD, um, we are required to do two languages. And so my major will be German. My minor is French, um, which luckily I was able to pass. It's just with like past experience. It's coming. I'm hoping to pass my exam this this year, like early this half, this first half of the year, I would say. So just uh, constant 
Duolingo and <laughs> and um, I actually I uh, I joined like an undergrad like first year German course this year, which has been pretty fun. <laughs> so that's been very helpful as well. Nice, nice. Well, it's been a lot of fun to dip my toes into your world. There's a lot of new things that you've been introducing me to here that I'm sure I'll be checking out and I'll be thinking of you while I do. So I'm wishing you best of luck as you continue your program. And thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what we do, you can head on over to rhythmchanges.ca and sign up for the free weekly article that I write in service of and for sharing widely in the creative music scenes of Metro Vancouver, BC and Canada, featuring a story each week that made an impact on me and I think will make an impact on you as well. So you can sign up for that right on our homepage at www.rhythmchanges.ca. 